0: Week of May eighth, twenty nineteen. This is the Washington State Indivisible podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Hello. This week, we revisit our discussion about what it means for progressive activists to go on offense. Angel Padilla is Indivisible's policy director, and he's the author of the guide "Indivisible on Offense," which was released after the Democrats took the House in the midterm election. We talk extensively about how we should look to use our power most effectively in twenty nineteen and beyond. That's all ahead, so stay with us. So it has been just over four months since Democrats took charge of the House, and quite a bit has happened since then. But questions do remain about the scope of Democrats' power and about how they should be wielding that power. Therefore, I thought it'd be a good idea for us to revisit our discussion with Indivisible's policy director, Angel Padilla, to get a refresher on concepts like messaging bills, oversight, checks and balances, and a whole lot more. So we started our discussion by talking about Democrats having what is called agenda Setting power. I asked Angel to tell us what that means.
1: So, uh, yeah, that's the big difference. Agenda setting power is what we haven't had for the last two years. Um, And that's basically, it means two big things. One is the very sort of literal, uh, you know, ability to set the agenda on the congressional calendar. So, what does the House or the Senate vote on? We had no control over it, or Democrats had no control over it for the last two years. Um, so that's a big change that we have an ability to really put things that we want onto the onto the legislative calendar. Um, but the other thing, uh, which is just as important, is when you control one of the chambers, you have a, a new way of promoting new ideas to, to shape the the national discussion. Uh, and so, agenda-setting power is is the ability to to move particular pieces of legislation and to change or to shape the national discourse uh, which is a new important thing especially in the age of trump because republicans and trump himself through twitter and through his you know through different his different platforms uh, has been able to define the narrative and now democrats can help uh you know, push back on that narrative. So that's the big difference. Uh, And when we talk about agenda setting power, that's
0: what we that's what we mean. Yeah, yeah. So setting the narrative, absolutely important and uh, a new power for for Democrats uh, in in recent days, particularly in the last two years. Um, On the conference call the other night, you and others at Indivisible talked about the importance of pushing for progressive legislation in the first 100 days. So talk about the importance of the first 100 days of a new Congress.
1: Yeah, that's a good good question. So, um the first 100 days of a new Congress are really important because it is they signal the things that we that 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 a party pushes in those first 100 days signals what their priorities are. So, um what we will see from House Democrats, the different bills that they put forward and and that they pass are basically their legislative priorities and the reason why they're so important is because those will set the tone for the next three years it's not just the first hundred days it's the next three years um if we get something on for example a big pro-democracy bill a bill that pushes back on all the corruption that we're seeing out of the administration all the money in politics if we get something like that out of the the democratically controlled house then that is the baseline for the next three years. It is what presidential candidates will be talking about. It is what right. we'll like move early when we do have power back in 2021. So the, the different things that we see early on are really important. So, it you know, the things that we're hearing are a big pro-democracy bill. Uh, there will be, for example, something on immigration, something like a, a DREAM Act, a uh, DREAM Act plus TPS possibly. Um, you know, so the things that we see, you know, we want to see big, bold, progressive things out of that, uh, out of Democrats. And um, just to, to, to put a final point on this, this is um, this is basically their argument for what their vision for America is. Um, this is, you know, what we've gotten from Trump is his vision and his vision is super, it's racist, it's xenophobic, it's sexist, uh, it favors the wealthy and the powerful over everyone else. That is their vision. But what what is unclear to us and what we will need to define leading up to 2020 is what democrats stand for and so the first 100 days is the beginning of that picture Uh, and it really does set the tone for the next two years and then what we might actually pass once we had unified, once we have unified control of the
0: government, and that gets into what you talk about in the guide as being the difference between messaging bills and must-pass bills. And I think what's interesting uh, about uh, messaging bills in particular is that they're not expected to pass. The, the the Democrats in the House know that most of the things that they're going to put forward are not going to be passed by the Senate, and they certainly won't be signed by Trump. Um, so let's then talk about the difference between messaging bills and must-pass bills. You, you basically outlined it here, but just talk a little bit more in depth about what a messaging bill specifically is.
1: So, yeah, a messaging bill is, is you know, what, what we want to see. It's, it's the ideal. Um, and, and the reason why we want to do that is, again, to... to draw a contrast between what we as progressives want to see versus the stuff that we're seeing out of Republicans. Um, and also it's important to, to make them progressive because they become the baseline. If we get a really solid progressive bill on any issue, um, when Democrats control the house, then that is what we'll be negotiating in 2021 if we get the opposite. You know, if we get Democrats negotiating with themselves, um, then that becomes a baseline and what we'll be debating when we have power is going to be something weaker than what we want. Um, now, uh, again, you're right, like it, the, these bills won't pass. It's just to start the, the policy debates, right? We want We want to define the policies for the future. Now, must pass bills are things that absolutely need to pass. There, there aren't many of these, but um, these are bills that, that both chambers of Congress need to pass, and the president needs to sign, Trump needs to sign, in order uh, to avoid some kind of disaster. So, for example, um, one of the, the most common ones are the budget bills, the, the funding bills. Right. Every year, Congress needs to fund the government, and if it doesn't, we get a shutdown. Um, that's considered a must-pass bill because it you know Congress has to pass it or we get a shutdown. There are other things. There's the, um, there's the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, which sets the, the spending limits for for the Defense Department. That is another must pass bill. Um, and then there are other things like the debt ceiling, the debt ceiling there in, in this coming spring. Um, we will hit the debt ceiling. And so um, there will be a need to extend it. And that is another must pass bill.
0: Well, so then how can the Democrats exert pressure here? Is that by insisting on certain provisions in order to vote for one of these bills, I presume?
1: Yeah. So um, because they must pass. Um, they you know, both sides need to come to some, some agreement. And now with Democrats controlling the house, we can get something out of those negotiations before it was just Republicans negotiating with other Republicans, but now with Democrats, we can push for some of the things we want. Now, this won't mean that we'll get the big landmark pieces of legislation that we want. Um, but we can start to make positive uh, some progress on the things that we care about. So a good example of this, um, is on immigration, you know, uh, ice, the the ice budget has been going up and up and up since it was created in 2003. Um, you know, and, and, you know, now that we have control of the house, there should be no reason, especially under this administration, why we increase the budget for ice, uh, given all that's happening. And Democrats can make that happen if they make it one of their, uh, deal breakers in the negotiations.
0: Now, in a practical sense, is this something that Indivisible is going to be pushing certain members of Congress on in terms of timing? Are we going to have a coordinated push on specific issues at specific times?
1: yeah, so this is this this takes some time. I mean, the we don't and it's also uncertain. We don't know when, for example, the next budget bill will be. I mean, there's one on December seventh. Um, you know, this is before Democrats can take take control of the House, right? Uh, we don't know when or how long that is going to extend to. So we could have another uh, you know budget fight in January or February, or it could be in September at the end of the fiscal year. We don't know when it'll happen, but what we know is that there will be an opportunity. And, and really, an obligation for Democrats to really pursue, to push, to defend progressive core progressive priorities. Uh, and it's not—it doesn't have to be the ice winning. That is one of the things that we have definitely identified as something that we we hope Democrats will fight for. But it's a number of things. Uh, and so we will be uh, pressuring both, uh, you know, the the, the new freshmen, the, the the progressives, and the moderates that just got elected, and some of the incumbents, uh, the Democrats, because they we want them to use their new powers on things like must-pass bills to really defend and you know communities that are being under attack are core progressive priorities and to just continue to reject the Trump agenda the way that voters did on, you know, last week.
0: Well, you talk about the incoming progressives as well as the moderates, and uh, you speak in the guide about the power of Democrats sticking together and voting in a block. Uh, James Homan from the Washington Post just had a great piece about the expanding power of the Progressive Caucus, uh, whose numbers are going to actually swell to 90, which is much greater than the three dozen members of the Freedom Caucus. So a lot of power there. Uh, But there are a number of Democrats who just got elected from purple or even red districts, how do we keep them on board with voting for progressive legislation?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so it, it takes a number of things. I don't think there's, a, you know, a one size fits all approach here. I think definitely moderates from purple districts or even some of these red districts Need to feel the pressure from their constituents that you know they need to feel support when they vote the right way, and they need to get you know hit back, or, or they need to see, feel some pushback if they vote the wrong way. So the the grassroots constituent pressure for all of these members is going to matter, whether they're progressive or moderate. Um, we really want to see strong leadership that is going to be pushing um, you know progressive bills, and that's going to be whipping votes, which we don't always see. We definitely didn't see that out of Schumer um, last year, uh, the last two years, uh, but. And we also as we talk about in the guide we need a progressive voting block because uh, you're right there will be you know upwards of, of 90 cpc members progressive members in the house um, if they stick together they are the balance of power in the house and so they uh, can shape the debate and what even though we might lose some of these moderates if we have um, if we have a strong progressive voting block uh, we really really become the center of gravity we really get to to, to negotiate on our terms when there are some of these bills on the floor.
0: And it's kind of exciting uh, for people here in this state because in addition to Mark Pocan of Wisconsin, we also have our very own Pramila Jayapal, who is a very prominent member of the Progressive Caucus. So that's that's really exciting here. So let's shift over and talk about the second tactic in the guide, and that's about oversight. Um, we know that Democratic House committees are already preparing a number of investigations against Trump and his administration. This is pretty subtle. Self-explanatory, but talk about the power that the Democrats are going to be able to wield in these committees.
1: Yeah, this is one of the most exciting parts of the new the new Congress. Um, you know, with control of the House come a ton of new powers, and these are the powers. These are the levers that we need to use to fight back. Uh, this is why this is you know we we separate this in the guide you know we have offense and oversight and defense but um, but really it's there are two different ways to play offense you have offense through messaging bills and then you also have offense through oversight because because of the new tools um, so for example um, you know every committee every major committee has subpoena power so you can get to the bottom of what's happening so for example if you are um, you know taking the example of FEMA and the 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 sort of awful way that the recovery and the response was from our government. Um, I mean, that was a failure of our government. Three thousand people, Americans died as a result of the handling of FEMA. They died yeah. not because of the hurricane, but because of the way that it was handled after the hurricane. Um, and there's not been one real investigation on what happened, you know, in Puerto Rico. Um, Democrats now have control of the committee that oversees that provides oversight over FEMA. They can bring in all of those officials. They can bring them in to Congress and question them. They can request documents and get to the bottom about uh, of what happened. That's just one example. I mean, the the list of things is pretty much endless. I mean, yes,
0: can, it is. <laughs> There's you, a
1: lot. You can get Trump's taxes on yep. day one. That's a day one thing you can do. You can investigate ICE and CBP in the way that they've been operating. You can investigate, um, you know, Ben Carson's dining room set that cost thirty one thousand um, dollars. All of those things are, are are you know are now subject to. Uh, investigation by Democrats uh, through the committee process and through oversight. And that's what's so exciting about the new powers.
0: Yeah, it is pretty awesome considering the amount of things to investigate with this particular administration. Uh, And I, I think it's a good point that you make that oversight is actually under the umbrella of offense. So how can Indivisible exert our influence here with the oversight committees?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So it's something to keep in mind is that you know now uh, we'll, we'll control the house or Democrats will control the house, but uh, it's something about uh, you know I think it's sixty percent of Democrats in the next Congress won't know what it's like to serve in the majority. That is huge. You know these are members who don't know what it's like to sit on a committee, don't know uh, you know to be in charge of a committee, don't know what it means to to issue subpoenas. They they've never had that opportunity, um, and so they you know because they're uh, you know, new to this, they're going to need a lot of help. And one way of helping them is to really make it clear to them what you want to see. So for example, if you have a member um, who sits on one of these important committees or subcommittees, um, and if you think they're not doing their job on something, if they're not really investigating something that they should be investigating, for example, Hurricane Maria or Trump's, uh, you know, collusion with, with foreign governments, um, then if that's not happening, then you can keep ask you can ask them to do it. Um, you can ask them to write letters to, um, to you know, they can, they can pressure their own members on the committee. They can pressure uh, members of the administration. All of these new tools are available to them. It's not clear that they'll use them. And so that's why constituent pressure on these members is going to continue to be important.
0: Yeah, lots of ways to do it. And as you say, we've got a huge incoming freshman class who will be learning the ropes. And so there's an opportunity for us to inform that process with our presence. So I want to talk briefly about impeachment because it does come up in the guide. Uh, Most Democratic candidates shied away from this during the election, I I think in part because they wanted to focus on other things like health care, but also because it's it's very difficult in a practical sense. Uh, The Senate would need a two thirds majority to convict to remove Trump from office if he were were impeached by the House, which is a very high bar. What's indivisible stance on impeachment?
1: Yeah, so like we we consider the things that we've already seen uh, under Trump to be, uh, you know, there have been crimes and abuses that need that that warrant impeachment. But the problem is that it's a political process. Um, you know, that's why again the oversight portion of this is so important. We have to make sure that we reach that high bar. You said two thirds uh, to convict in the Senate. Um, right now, we don't have the votes. If there if there were if we if democrats came out of the gate and, and called for impeachment um, then we would probably lose that vote it would mean that trump would stay in office and it would probably empower him it would probably strengthen his position going into 2020. that's not what we want to do what we want to do is make a solid airtight case against trump first uh and then go towards impeachment and the best way of doing that is through again those investigations in the house i mean you can you can you, you can investigate through the intelligence committee you can investigate through the judiciary committee You can investigate through the Government Oversight Committee, a number of of committees where you can really get to the bottom of all of those crimes. And once you have that case, once you have that strong enough case, Then you can impeach and then you can you can convict. But if you do it too quickly, too soon, it may blow up on our faces.
0: Yeah, I I think there's no uh, unringing that bell. Uh, I think impeachment is something that you can only uh, attempt once. It's not like the Republicans under Obama trying to repeal the ACA however many times they they did dozens and dozens of times. But, yeah, so ultimately the idea is to make Trump politically toxic through these committee investigations, which would then yeah. ideally bring more senators on board. So then the, the last thing is familiar to most people, and that is is defense. Uh, here in Washington, uh, the balance of power has shifted slightly. We've just increased the number of Democratic representatives by one in the 8th district, but we will continue to have two Democratic senators, and for them, we need to play defense. Uh, and we're pretty familiar with that. But, you know, you mentioned a few tactics uh, in the guide that senators in the minority Already have, and some of them we're familiar with filibustering. Is one you also mentioned withholding consent? That was something that came up during the fight to save the ACA. You also mentioned something called denying quorum, and that was new verbiage to me. Tell us what's meant by that.
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, in the in Congress and especially in the Senate, um, there is a requirement that there be a quorum for certain procedures. So, for, for example, in committees or even to have a, a vote on the floor, um, you need to have a certain number of members present in order to conduct business. Um, and one tactic that Democrats can use is basically not show up and if there are if, if, if there aren't enough senators in the room when you know for either a committee hearing or a vote, uh, if there aren't enough senators present, they can't conduct the business. so it's a way of slowing it down. Now this is not something that you can uh, there is a way around this uh, just to be clear. Um, the senate is a kind of an odd an odd place where you can just change the rules whenever you want um, so a committee chairman for example can change the rules on the quorum requirement or Mitch McConnell can change the rule on on the uh, on the forum requirement on the on the Senate floor, but the point is that it's a way of slowing things down. Yeah. Uh, and Democrats need to do everything they can to slow down the process. And so, uh, if you do this enough, it just becomes a thorn in their side. It makes it harder to, to conduct business. All of that is necessary because what we're trying to do is wait out the next two years until we take back the Senate. And and again, like um, the harm, most of the harm that we're going to see next year in Congress is going to be out of the Senate. There are things that we just can't stop. I mean uh, nominations are going to continue. And even though we have control of the house, we can't stop those nominations in the Senate. Um, it's going to be very hard to do it anyway. And so what we can do is slow down the process. And this is just another way of doing that.
0: Right. Well, that makes sense. And, and that'll be likely something that we will be called upon to do with the Senate over the next couple of years. So in terms of immediate action, right now, Indivisible is advising groups to plan for events on three specific dates. First on January 3rd, that is the first day of the new Congress, uh, that date or thereabouts. The second one is during the February recess and then one at the end of the first 100 days. And we talked about the importance of that. So, so first talk about the January 3rd action. What what are we asking members here to do?
1: So the first uh, day of the new Congress is really important because it really will set the tone for um, for the, the next two years. And, and more importantly, or just as importantly, um, you know, what we want to do is remind members of Congress, especially those Democrats who just came to power because of all of these voters, all these dem voters. You know, we want to remind them who they work for. They work for the voters, and so that's why we're hoping to do a national day of action starting January third, and it's supposed to be January third. Um, but but I, we understand that you know it's not it can't all happen on the same day sometimes and so there will be some events um, throughout that week or in the, in the days following but the point is to be able to tell your member of Congress and their staff to remind them that hey we put you into office and now we expect you to serve us and work for us and push for uh, progressive bold policy.
0: Absolutely. And it's certainly a way uh, if people do it uh, all at once all across the country, it's a great way to make Indivisible's voice heard nationally. And that's very important. Well, Angel Padilla is the policy director for Indivisible. And we thank you so much for joining us on the show, man.
1: Yeah. Uh, glad to be on. And
0: that is it for this week's show. You can always head to IndivisiblePodcast.org for more information. And you can always get in touch at IndivisiblePodcast at gmail.com.
1: Thanks, you guys, for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.